Welcome to Dr. Jeffrey Ross, Looking Good and Feeling Great podcast, live from Las Vegas, with his co-host, Daryl Craig Harris. Well, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. We're at it again. Beautiful Las Vegas. We're having um, a wonderful week, actually. Very busy. I know you're always busy. Always busy. You just had a fabulous birthday. (laughs) Not you personally. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, our our birthdays are kind of close to each other. And it's one of those things, especially, you know, anybody who's a parent or whatever else, like, no, as you show up with the little one and uh, to, you know, grandma and grandpa's house, they look really right straight past you like you're invisible to, oh, that's great. Where's the little one? Okay, well, yeah. So that's kind of how that goes. So, yeah, we we just uh, did the whole birthday party thing. And, uh, yeah, it was, it's a little, little different nowadays. It used to be, you know, nothing, or it used to be like a clown or a, music, a magician, and now it's completely off the hook. It's expanded a bit. It's, expanded. it's bananas. <laughs> like, it's, it's, yeah, my, my wife is a genius at these sort of things, and she astounds me every time she plans one of these, and I just keep shaking my head. So, but, yeah. but we're, uh, we're back, we're doing, our, we're doing our thing, and today we're talking a little bit about trauma, uh, trauma-rama. Uh, mm-hmm. We started uh, last time with trauma and the general tenets of it and how the trauma training helps out with the plastic and reconstructive surgery training and all of that. And we were going to focus a little bit more this week on penetrating trauma. So we did, they're usually grossly divided into blunt versus penetrating, mm-hmm. and we were going to do some penetrating. Right. And so part of this story with trauma, your background in terms of your training was um, being at a hospital, a very busy hospital in Philadelphia. That's where I guess what you did residency, right? Yes. Okay. Um, so tell us a little bit about, for people that maybe didn't hear the last episode, give us a little background sure. with, with that with, for you. Sure. So me, my personal story is uh, did it the old way. Um, basically, I did uh, general, you go to medical school and then you do residency, right? And so residency, I did general surgery first uh, and then went to plastic surgery after that. So seven years of general surgery in Philadelphia, two years of plastics at UCSF, and then a year of plastic uh, a year of uh, microsurgery and hand surgery at USCLA County. And so in all those big cities, um, they all have a very busy trauma service and a big catchment sure. area and all that. So we got to see a lot. Uh, and it's really, it's terrific training. It'll keep you up all night. But it's terrific training because really it's kind of a pop quiz that we talked about. In as much as you really have to know the anatomy, you have to know the physiology of what functions where, and then no two injuries are really, really the same. Some mm-hmm. are very, very familiar, and like, oh, I've seen this, I've done 12 of these so far, this quarter, uh, et cetera. But you always have to be aware of the one that's a little bit different. That's and you're dealing little... with children, you're dealing with elderly, yes. you're dealing with... So that's that's the thing with trauma, a leading cause of morbidity and mortality, especially in young folks. Uh, and different age ranges have different trauma profiles, for example... Younger uh, kids, um, you know, falls mostly, uh, right. burns. Kids, toddlers are very head heavy. Uh, and mm-hmm. so they tend to smack their head or hit their head because Coffee they'll tables, tumble. Oh, right. yeah. So they'll, they'll tumble and they hit their head first. And then get as, as a trauma surgeon, you have to rule out intracerebral stuff or, or fractures or, or that sort of thing. As a plastic surgeon, again, fractures and then soft tissue management as well. And so, and we get called on a lot of that, especially it seems like Sunday night at about 7.30. Usually when that happens. Right. And it, it, you know, you get the phone call. Yeah, hey, Jeff, usually from another doc. Hey, Jeff, uh, what are you doing? Oh, nothing. Why? He says, well, you know, Timmy <laughs> ran into the coffee table. and uh, right. So that happens. So yeah, the two things that'll keep you up early at night uh, as, a, as a plastic and reconstructive surgeon are face and hand. 
mm-hmm. um, facial trauma, fractures, uh, hand, uh, unless you're doing a lot of reconstructive surgery and then you're doing free flaps and those will keep you uh, up uh, up all night and, right. and, and, and all that and all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, it just kind of depends on your you know, demographic. And then the old folks' trauma, you have to be careful. Other injuries, for example, uh, if they have a car accident, et cetera, et cetera, they may have a little broken rib. Now, 22-year-old athlete, that shouldn't be a big problem. And right. an 82-year-old guy, that could be a big problem because it hurts, right? And so they start to splint, meaning they don't, they don't breathe as much around it. <laughs> they don't breathe so well. Sure. And uh, that's the area where they get uh, pneumonias. And mm-hmm. so, especially in the older population, um, you have to really make sure they deep breathe and cough, et cetera, et cetera, and try to keep some of the secondary sequelae away from them. Mm-hmm. So you have to be conscious when it comes to trauma. I think we've really discovered there's the pre-hospital, well, there's prevention, right? Meaning, and we talked about this, technologically, cars have gotten safer with airbags and crumple zones and seat belts, et cetera, et cetera. In youth sports, things have gotten better. With the helmets have gotten better. The pads have gotten better. The, right. r- the rules have gotten better. Uh, uh, mouthpieces, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, playgrounds as well. They're you know, redoing uh, playgrounds so that people. <laughs> it's don't a lot get safer clobbered. than when I was a kid. <laughs> oh yeah. So I mean, still you know, people get clobbered. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. But you know, the padding is different, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So yeah, I mean, you know, we we grew up certain uh, toys. I won't say the name, but you know, they had lead paint and uh, <laughs> exactly. and pinch points and sharp edges and all that yeah. good stuff. So yeah, so that stuff has gotten better. So that that's prevention. And there's pre-hospital, which means okay, something went down. How do we get out to these people? How do we rescue them? There's the golden hour they call of trauma, which means get them from the field into the hospital, i.e. the operating room within mm. an hour. We discovered that years ago with wartime rapid evacuation from the front, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The other thing is pre-hospital, keep them warm because usually they wind up back east and stuff. They can get really cold. Yeah. yeah, not even to the point of hypothermia, but when they come in cold, they come in coagulopathic. In other words, they don't clot really well. It's hard to stop somebody bleeding when they're bleeding from everywhere. Right. And so you want that on your side as well. So those are all things that we've kind of discovered over the years. And then once they hit the uh, hospital, okay, now we have a whole bunch of technology and, and uh, algorithms that we can use. Yeah, it's really keeping them alive in the first yeah. and, uh, moments. And then always thinking forward, like, okay, well, how is this going to affect down the line? And then mm-hmm. post-op, again, continuing to monitor. And then once they're kind of on their feet again is, okay, prevention. Okay, well, how do they get into this system? Oh, he's a homeless guy. Can we find a home for him? Oh, uh, whatever psychosocial thing that they may have. And so that's all right. part you know, people think of trauma, you know, they think of MASH or they think of... Uh, yeah, we were talking about that. They kind of have their, in their mind, they're thinking right. of TV shows and that that's, they watch. You know, and that's the fun part. And it's the resuscitations and those are right. kind of cool. And you get your blood, you know, gets, you know, the you know, everybody's blood pressure up and heart rate up and stuff. And that's awesome. And, you you know, you can save lives and, and that's cool. But then there's, again, pre and post is kind of where a lot of the academic thinking has, has come up with really some good measures to get really good outcomes. Right. Yeah. And I mean, elderly folks in particular, um, I know my grandmother fell and broke her hip. And that's a major injury for somebody that's in their 80s or, sure. well, and, and even may, if you're young. But. And that may be life altering. I mean, thankfully now, depending on what condition they're in, right, if they were, you know, on 16 drugs coming in, et cetera, sure. et cetera, and, you know, and poor protoplasm, that's one thing. But two is is uh, that can be a, a really life-altering thing because if they uh, have a fracture and it may or may not heal well or um, I can't be as mobile as I can, that's a big deal. And then sometimes right. that really kind of starts a spiral of, you know, I'm not uh, mobile, therefore I can't really take care of myself, therefore I'm not taking the medicines I'm supposed to, I, get, I don't get out to where I'm supposed to be. 
So it, it can it's be a very important topic, a big right? deal. And, yeah. and a lot of folks that are older and have been just getting along just fine, they have some sort of traumatic uh, injury. And uh, again, which you can get through when you're you know 26, but much more difficult at that end of the spectrum. Sure. Um, so when you're going to medical school and you're going to be doing a residency in that kind of environment, I mean, do you get a choice? Do they tell you like, give you an, op- an option of where you're going to do your residency or is it, do you pick trauma or trauma unit or how, how does that, how, what's the dynamic of that? Well, in medical school there, they try to expose you uh, to as much as you can. Sure. So when, you know, first and second year is basically the book years, the didactics, although now in, they're getting more and more of these um, students uh, into the clinical arena earlier, which mm-hmm. one surprises me and two, it's kind of cool because they really sort of, you can kind of energize them a little bit. Right. And you, know, you can kind of sort out who's going to be. Well, yeah, that usually comes <laughs> the third and fourth year. And the third right. and fourth year is you, you, you run around um, and they get to be a little women sampler of everything, right? So back in the day, they did you know twelve weeks of surgery and twelve weeks of internal medicine and eight weeks of OBGYN and eight weeks of another elective, and um, and so they they try to give you a wide breadth and depth of that and of surgery. Then they try to mix it up. You know, there's general surgery, which is biliary tract and uh, the liver and the spleen and the GI tract, et cetera, et cetera, but also thoracic surgery. Uh, also, there's neurosurgery, there's cardiothoracic surgery, and then a surgery, of course, uh, especially at night, everybody gets exposed to trauma, um, the trauma surgery, both blunt and penetrating, mm-hmm. and then the ICU, et cetera, et cetera. So you get kind of a thinking of, oh, I like that, and mm, I don't like that so much. But even in your fourth year where you kind of go around again or do some more electives in such things, for example, if you want to be a trauma surgeon, and say, gosh, I want to be a trauma surgeon. Let me go to some really, you know, really, really busy, you know, places. Right. Now, if you're at a busy place, you probably don't need that. If you're at a kind of less busy place, oh, you know, let me go to, you know, Michigan or USC. Yeah, or Chicago or, or, or Yeah, sure. Or, yeah, Cook County or, you know, Parkland when it was around. Right. And, and, well, it's still around. Uh, a charity when it was around. Uh, something along those lines. And really mm-hmm. kind of rock and roll and kind of see how, how things go. So, so you, usually that's in your fourth year, you're able to kind of do that. Now, having said all that, you know that trauma is part of general surgery, and so that kind of pushes your pathway down there uh, a little bit. The other thing, and we've talked about this before, is is even residents will change the residency 30% of the time, which is a big number. Mm-hmm. So some folks will say, gosh, you know, I thought I would like anesthesiology, but hey, I want to do emergency medicine, or I want to yeah. do pediatrics, or whatever the case may but be. But that's a good, I mean, that's a good place to really sort that out, yeah. because that's theoretically going to be your career. You're going to figure out what's sure. so, going to yeah, get so your... That's, so that's kind of right. where that is. So you do a little bit of that, but every student runs through the trauma unit and general surgery at mm-hmm. uh, at some point to really kind of see it. And I think it's more important for folks that aren't going to be general surgeons to do surgery because this is their only shot that they're really going to be in the operating room and uh, you know cutting and so on and seeing surgical pathology. So even if they're an internal medicine guy and they're saying, hmm, this looks like you know a hot gallbladder, it looks like cholecystitis, they know in their head what that looks like right. because they were in the operating yeah. room. They're not going to take it out. They're not going to the operating room with this. Right. But they know like, oh man, this guy can get really, really sick because I saw a really big bad one once. Right. And so they're more. Yeah, you kind of have to get your hands in there and see. Yeah. Right. So yeah. So so having said all that, is is that I think that's it's really good for the guys and gals that are going into non-surgical specialties to actually get into the to get into the Mm -hmm. OR. And critical care is always good. But what was the thing that really struck you that made you decide I want to go into plastic surgery and and go that that direction? Well, yeah. So the the whole thing with that is at some point in medical school you have to figure out are you going to think or are you going to do right and can be really 
bottom of it. So you're going to think like House, right? Or you're going to do like, you <laughs> I know, love House. Uh, That's a great show. Like, you know, Hawkeye on MASH, right? right so, exactly. so basically, and I was more of a, a doer, you know, separate the patient from the disease and all that and go in and fix something. And so I gravitated towards surgery. So in the first year of surgery, again, it's like a Whitman sampler and you get a little bit of urology and neurology and neurosurgery and, and all of that. And I like the way the plastic surgery guys thought, how the reconstructive options go. And so for all that, I really enjoyed that. Some of the specialties have a lot of crossover. For example, uh, burn surgery, you can get there from general surgery and plastic surgery. They usually share the, the burn units depending on how that goes because mm-hmm. a lot of it's soft tissue management, but it's also crossovers. critical care yeah. and such. And so so that's really uh, interesting. And and, and burns, burn surgery is fascinating uh, because nobody has a higher uh, metabolism than a, a burn a victim. And whether it's a thermal burn, uh, whether it's a scald from really hot water, uh, whether it's a chemical burn, and then you get back into chemistry of like, what type of chemical is it? How do you counter it? Mm-hmm. How do you counter it without causing more thermal injury, et cetera, et cetera? Right. You know, how do you get rid of the, the disease in this case, the burn, and then how do you reconstruct it, which can be a real, uh, real challenge, both yeah. functionally, meaning uh, the burn is over joint, you don't want contractures, right. as well as uh, aesthetically, you know, how do you go ahead and make things look a little bit nicer, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. So the burn unit is really a very, very interesting uh, place. And uh, shameless plug is uh, my, myself and Dr. Bill Hughes, who now runs the burn unit at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia. Uh, wrote uh, a book a while ago, The Essential Burn Unit Handbook, and it has so many of those tenets of, uh, you know, what to look for, airway, breathing, circulation, disability exposure, what vent setting to put them on, what do you do about antibiotics, etc. Because, in my opinion, kind of encapsulates all of that. Which that gives you a blueprint. Yeah, which yeah. is which is really kind of all, all fascinating. Uh, the right. other thing that crosses over is hand surgery, where general surgeons, plastic surgeons, and orthopedic surgeons all can do hand surgery. And some get more training than others, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, especially the orthopedic and hand uh, guys and gals, they get a ton of hand going through. And so they're very uh, capable. I, I went and did a little bit more because why not and I did a hand fellowship which was terrific hand and microsurgery fellowship um, but in hand surgery um, you see you know fractures uh, you see degloving injuries uh, for which is where yeah basically for example um, it's one of the reasons why I don't wear rings because I've, I've seen too much is, is especially you know, um, what'll happen is there's a roofer, a contract guy who'll go ahead and slip and the, he'll have a ring on and then the nail will go ahead and get underneath the ring and just kind of take the soft right. tissue off right. with it. Uh, we've also seen cowboys that um, the thumb went ahead and came off because the thumb was wrapped around the rope and the horse took off and then the right. went off with it. That's where like degloving meets amputation and replantation. Mm-hmm. So what happens sometimes with saw injuries or other tor- types of injuries that uh, you'll separate the digit from the rest of the hand. Uh, and so in that case... It's a pretty common injury. Yeah. In construction. And yeah. Come, and yeah. so you got to be super duper careful. And so with that, the whole idea is... is um, to you know, put it in a you can try to put it in a, a little glad bag and then put the glad bag on ice uh, mm-hmm. and then you know bring it to and get straight to the hospital. And get to the hospital <laughs> ASAP, right. uh, ASAP, and uh, 
and those work usually work out uh, pretty well. It just kind of depends on uh, the, the the patient, and then the rehab is, of course, really uh, really big with that. So, mm-hmm. so those are all part of the parcel of the of the trauma uh, thing. And again, getting back to you know the the trauma, I think that that kind of common sense approach or algorithmic approach helps you in whatever area in medicine. So, right. And then by common uh, approach, you know you. Come across a uh, something, and so or some guy walks into the office, and he's got you know an arrow sticking out of his chest, okay, or a knife sticking out of his chest, and these things happen. Yeah. Uh, rule one is don't take it out, okay? Right, because so, your first reaction is you want to. So, oh yeah, I'll fix it. <laughs> I'll fix it this. It'll be fine right. until it's not. Might be a lot worse when you pull it out. Right. right. So yeah. So the one of the general tenets is proximal and distal control of of blood supply. And so you want to be able to, because you pull that out and that was the only thing that was, you know, stopping, right. stopping the leak. Yep. That's no bueno. And so now you're welling up and, and now you can't see. And, you know, if you're in your office, you don't have suction, the right retractors and airway management and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, so rule one is don't take that out. So uh, that's good to talk about though, because people, like you said, people, they see the knife, they want to pull it out, but that might be actually what's yeah. at the moment saving them. Right. So yeah. So yeah. So don't do that. Um, so so the kind of you know common things again. Yeah. Don't give people food and water. You know what I mean. Right. Uh, that's sort of before you get them to the hospital because they may have to go quick, uh, uh, like a buddy to the operating room. That sort of thing. Uh, but penetrating trauma we were talking about is it can be anything. It can be shrapnel. It can be glass. It can be bullets. Can be arrows. Can mm-hmm. be road rash. Can be right. uh, lug nuts. I mean, we've seen it all as far as what can come flying at you. Right. Um, and the other thing which is interesting is is we learn, unfortunately, we have to learn about ballistics. Right. Where they just take gunshots and there, there's a lot of, yeah. unfortunately, a lot of that. Yeah. So. so, yeah. So, especially where, where we train. And then now here in Las Vegas, it's interesting because they have the Air Force surgeons. They come and they rotate mm-hmm. on the trauma service here at uh, UMC, UNLV right, schools. Right. Because we have Nellis, Nellis Air Force Nellis Base, Air Force which is Base. a huge base. H- huge. Yeah. And uh, and they, they love cross-pollinating because they're, they're both they're, they're both really great programs in as much as we're the, I think, the fourth busiest trauma center in the United States just oh. because we have lots of volume. Yeah, UMC, I think, is... Yeah, so um, so they're busy. But bullets. So bullets are interesting because they move. They have yaw, they have pitch. Uh, if you've ever seen a knuckleball, you know, right. uh, come in, there's there's a move. And, and they, they expand once they enter. They do, they do funny yeah. things. Right. Um, and they ricochet, and so they might hit a rib and then flip to somewhere and flip somewhere else. So when you open up, you're like... Well, wait a minute. The entry and exit wound is here, but wait a minute. He's damaged all the way over there, so, right. which can happen. The other thing is, is not to call entry and exit wounds if you can, because mm-hmm. the lawyers will say, "Well, wait a minute. The doctor said it was an exit wound, and my client was in front of us. So we couldn't have shot him." Right. So basically, you describe the wound, and then it's it, interesting. You don't get to make that determination. But it, it, ballistic. So the other thing that is really interesting, and and it fascinates, I guess, sort of, or they pretend they're fascinated. The medical students is um, the difference between how big a caliber something is, and the damage you can do. For example, mm-hmm. the. Kinetic energy is, uh, and I'm, I'm sure I'm getting this wrong. Somebody will go ahead and correct me. But kinetic energy is is, is a one half uh, times mass times velocity squared. So velocity is the key, right? So in other words, if I have a cannonball, right, and a cannonball mm-hmm. or a bowling ball, and I drop it on your toe, okay, right. I may break your toe. You're really gonna be mad at me and stuff like that. But I'm not gonna kill you. <laughs> it's gonna. I'm not, not going to kill you. Right. But if I take something that's it's a 22 caliber bullet, something about the size of a pea, okay, and I put a big charge behind it, and it's mm. going really fast, has a really high muscle velocity, right. and it comes it in causes a lot of damage. That'll yeah. kill you. Right. Okay, so the cannonball won't kill you, but the itty bitty thing looks like a pea uh, can, and that's 
all about velocity and how much energy goes through mm-hmm. something as small uh, as that. So now with energy, because you, you you were hitting on this, and they've it's on YouTube. I, I don't have it, but they've done these. Uh, things are really cool. They have these like big blocks of jello, okay, kind of right. thing. Ballistic, and they ballistic fi- jello. Yeah, yeah. And they fi- and they fire through it, and you can actually see the thing that I'm getting at is the cavitation. Mm. So the energy now gets dispersed, and the jello kind of expands, and then it contracts. Okay, and that's where you get secondary damage on the inside to things like uh, liver and spleen and. Um, GI tract and right. pancreas and all that kind of stuff. So it may not even be the actual bullet itself, that little 22, but the cavitation that kind of go, uh, that goes mm. through it. And we see that also in extremities and, and all that. And that's where we plastic surgeons get called upon to do that more. Sure, we do a lot of the reconstructive if the uh, wound falls apart or something like that. But sometimes, especially in extremities, you'll get this stuff called compartment syndrome where it swells up so much inside compartments that you have to release it, and then you have wounds that you got to deal with, et cetera, right. et cetera. So, so that's the part that people sometimes don't understand about ballistics, and that's why we have to unfortunately learn about it, because it's not just the itty-bitty 22 going it's all of the energy that right. went through and the again, body. And again, they tend to they tend to relate that to TV shows or movies. Yeah. So yeah. And everybody everybody becomes a crime scene right. crime scene investigator. Of course. Well, now yeah. So now it's CSI. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. And and everything else. And uh, and shout out to Anthony Zyker who created CSI. He's a proud Chaparral High School alum. He was oh. a couple years behind me. Didn't know that. Great guy. So a great guy. And uh, so yeah, he lives back back in Vegas now, which is <laughs> great. And um, so. Um, but yeah, it, but bullets do strange uh, things. Uh, I've seen a, a guy. Uh, he, we were at the pediatric hospital. This is Philadelphia, right? So at the pediatric hospital, a security guy told a guy to move a car. Guy went ahead, pulled a gun out, shot him. Okay, so it's yeah. So but the bullet, strange thing, went uh, went under his skin, skidded around, and went out. Didn't go inside his body. Very strange. He was a very lucky man. Super lucky guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, we had an, another guy, big bad dude, and uh, he got shot in the neck a couple times. And uh, I, I look over and I and I, I sit and he's looking looking at me like nothing. And he's like he's going to the store. And right. I'm like, huh? And I'm picking out shrapnel from in the ER from his. I'm like, okay. So we'll go to the operating room. We got to do this and everything else like that. He says, but. I said, who shot you? And he says, oh, he did. And he pointed to the cop, you know, who was in there. I'm like, did you shoot him? He's like, yeah. With what? He says, my 38, because back then they all, you know, wow. yeah. and he's like, my 38. He's like, oh, yeah, I shot him about five times. And, and he's like, huh? And he says, how far were you away? He says, oh, I was about 12 feet from here to wow. there. I'm just like, so yeah. And so some That's guy. That's where the guardian angels come into something. And so, yeah. <laughs> so, so that was that. And then, wow. um, and then there's some, ugh, and then, you know, some guys, uh, they, you know, they, you know, they kind of have a, a sense of humor about it, but I remember one guy, really, really not, uh, interesting cat. He came in, uh, gunshot wound abdomen, and uh, he looks at me and he says, "Okay, doc." He says, uh, "You know, what gauge is it? You know, was it a nine? Was it a thirty-eight? Was it forty-four? I'm like, "Well, you really don't know because it depends on how far away you were." He says, "Oh, come on, doc. You see a thousand of these. What is it?" He's like, "He says, you know, what did they get me with?" I'm like, "It looks like a twenty-two. Uh-huh. And he, or 25, actually, yeah. and he was mad. He said, somebody got me with a toy gun. <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's enough. We're going yeah, to the operating exactly. room. Right? <laughs> and so we went to the operating room, and sure enough, and went through a couple of things of his bowel, and we got to yeah. sew him up and all that, all, that, all that sort of stuff. 
But yeah, this is sometimes, yeah, they'll do really, really funny things. Yeah. Obviously, technology is always changing. What are some of the newest things with technology that have really helped save many lives in the yard these days? What are some of the most common um, shoot sure. techniques? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some principles now that they actually have brought. Uh, and you, you try to get better and you try to learn from you know, mistakes or you think up, a, you know, yeah, they have these shower thoughts. Hey, how can we make this better? You know, sort mm-hmm. of thing. For example, if at a big city hospital, if there was a delay given getting your patient blood, well, how can we fix that? How can we do that? Right. Sure. Well, the answer is, is you have blood in a fridge in the trauma bay. So oh, instead yeah. of in the blood bank or whatever right. you have designated and at that's not as easy as it seems, right? Because mm-hmm. with blood, as anybody knows, nowadays, first of all, they really don't give it out much at all. If they can, they can they'll, let, they'll let you go down anemic really far. But one, two is, is and then you have to sign it in. You have to make sure it cross matches. You have to, it's, it's like a big deal. You don't just like yeah. give blood. But having said that, if they can go ahead and stop the time of somebody have to grab the blood and then go in the elevator and run up yeah, the stairs. Yeah, because time is like crucial that. in that situation. So now, uh, off where we were anyways, they started having uh, O negative, which is the universal donor, mm. a blood, boom, in the trauma bay. So so the other nurse who's, uh, can go ahead and boop, 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 and give the blood as opposed to up and putting the order in and taking the order off, running them downstairs and right. all that kind of stuff. So all that's been better. I think warming mm. the patient, we have these things now called bear huggers which are awesome because they can get you really warm really fast. Um, and again, you don't want people coming in cold because cold means coagulopathic, and that means you bleed. Hmm. Uh, and so you get in there and you're operating. It's interesting because you always think of, of them, like in certain situations, trying to get the, keep the patient cool, right. maybe try not to. But I guess so, that's, that, there's a different understanding right. now. So of, that's a different physiology. That's right. if you want to, if you want to on purpose cool the patient down is because you want them to slow down the metabolism, right. et cetera, et cetera. Right. And in the cardiothoracic place, you want them to actually arrest and stop the heart. Uh, and so right. that's why you pour an ice uh, over the that heart. That comes back to the et cetera, TV. Et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> TV All that kind of good stuff. So, yeah. yeah. So having said that, again, it depends upon what you really sort of you what know, the goal looking is. to do. Right. So now having said all that, yes, now they have better chemicals to stop bleeding or to fight clots, et cetera, et cetera. They have better scanning uh, modalities, whether it's CT scan, whether it's MRI, the handheld ultrasounds, the uh, ER guys love these ultrasound things. Mm. So they, they can kind of see just with a handheld ultrasound right there in the trauma bay, if you have any blood uh, uh, in your abdomen and that, that sort right. of thing. So that's come a long way. I think uh, ultrasound also helps in finding vessels and especially mm. it can be difficult in folks that come in they may have been on the street four to six hours before they got found. They may be bleeding. They're, they're hypovolemic. You can't, you know, they don't have any blood in their veins. And so right. that would be a hard stick. So, and, and so there's, there's always something new, always something mm. kind of better. And that's why they have trauma conferences. And that's why they have, you know, journals and everything else. And now that the pandemic's over, I hope for now, uh, that at least we're having meetings in person. And, and there's that exchange of ideas. That's mm. the one nice thing in medicine is, is if somebody comes up with a better mousetrap, they, they tell everybody else about it. So, you know, save a lot. Right. And it seems like, I mean, my impression is that you never stop learning. It's, there's always yeah. something new, right? A hundred percent. So, yeah. And I had a, um, a professor of mine, the late uh, Gil Gradinger, he's spectacular. He uh, was spectacular. He told me, he says, hey, Jeffrey, he says, you know, um, if you get bored in plastic surgery, you're not reading enough. Right. Because there's always something. Always something and, else. Uh, yeah. And uh, I work with the, the medical society uh, in town, and there was, I learned something every time I go ahead and talk to these folks. I, what, there's new something new in OBGYN. There's something new in maternal fetal medicine. There's something new in internal medicine. It's really amazing. I mean... Mm. 
if somebody 20 years ago, we thought ulcers were all about acid secretion. And so we had right. all of these different operations to cut out nerves and blood medications. Blah, blah, blah. And, and if uh, if somebody says, oh, no, it's you know, H. pylori, it's, a, it's a, you know. An, an infectious disease problem, you're out of your mind, right? Until the guy who went ahead and said, hey, if these H. pylori, these bugs, when they infect the GI, they cause ulcers. And everybody thought it was bananas. And, mm. and so what he did was he gave it to himself. He actually drank some H. pylori, Interesting. gave himself ulcers, and, right. uh, and then drank the antidote and the medicine and all that kind of stuff. And mm. so, yeah, eventually wound up winning the Nobel Prize. Yeah, there's there's always something new. Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, you know, the future is bright for 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 medicine and for surgery and a hundred percent. Whether it's and, and things interact again. The stuff that you l- learn in the the trauma bay, the principles that you learn. Um, I tell the medical students what you're, they're trying to do is set up the scaffolding, and then they go ahead and hang more stuff on the scaffolding. And as a medical student, you get intimidated because. You go to GI conference and these guys are quoting stuff from like 76 and this, you know, this study of X amount of patients. Like, how do they know all this stuff? And the answer is, is they've been at it so long that they just put more and more stuff on that scaffolding. And so then you can eventually quote literature and say, oh, wait a minute, that is kind of like the other thing that I read. Or wait a minute, that's different, et cetera. And so Mm -hmm. you continue to pile on the scaffolding until you have, you know, a a real good uh, knowledge base yourself. If, if, um, say somebody... I mean, I would assume. Well, actually, when did you know you wanted to be a doctor? Was that really well, young? Or? Pretty, uh, pretty young. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, high school, et cetera, et cetera. And my mentor uh, was uh, Miles Cohen, uh, who recently retired. He was an orthopedic surgeon, hand surgeon uh, in Cedar Sinai, in Los Angeles. I had bad knees. He treated me for my bad knees, and then I said, "Wow, that's kind of cool." And and uh, yeah, I got the I had the opportunity to kind of follow a lawyer around and a doctor and. A, and so I said, well, I think medicine's kind of for me because as corny as it sounds, at the end of the day, at least you know you tried your very best to help somebody. So right. that, that's me. And that's kind of my turn on is to go ahead and try to make a difference and try to help somebody, you know, uh, as corny as that may seem. And, well, I think, I mean, the thing about what I like about you in particular is, and I've said in a, on a few of your um, consultations, is that you take your time. You really want to get to know the patients. You really want to make a difference. And I think it's, sometimes it seems like maybe some doctors... Um, because of the nature of things, they don't have that amount of time. It's, right. you know, and I seem, that seems to be a really important part of your practice. Yeah, uh, probably too important if you ask my office staff and they're trying to make me more efficient. <laughs> well, like, Doc, come on, let's go. No, right. but, I, but again, I feel for the, um, the family uh, practice docs and stuff and, and the government's telling them, uh, oh, yeah, you got to be in there, you know, seven, yeah, to, nine, have, seven to nine minutes. Right. And you're like, what? And um, yeah, I, I, I would have a lot of difficulty, you know, uh, doing that. Um, so, yeah, there's guys that are and gals that are much more efficient than I am, but I really do want to kind of listen to the why uh, and then apply my experience and uh, training to, okay, well, how can I fix this or how can I make this better? How can I improve right. it? And, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And if a, young, if a young student came to you and said, hey, I'm thinking about becoming a doctor, what would be your first? Oh, absolutely. I'm sure it's happened, but yeah. what would be your advice? Oh, so uh, sure. I, I think that it's still very much a, uh, a noble and honorable profession. I think it's an ancient profession. I still think that is the best time in human history to be a doctor and people like shake their head at me in as much as what we can actually do for the patient. The technology and and all of that has never been better as far as that goes. But there's lots more intervening uh, things that are going on in medicine. Mm. 51% of doctors are now employees, uh, which is a, a big deal. So, yeah, you have responsibility, but you don't have authority like you did to make changes. And so, so that makes it that part makes it challenging. The medicine part has always been a challenge, but that's where the, also the joy is. Right. Uh, and so if you can 
as much as you can. Concentrate on that, although you do have to concentrate on keeping the you know place open and the lights on in the people page. Sure. Um, but the, the joy is still in, I think, in the patient to doctor interaction and actually trying to help somebody else uh, along their path of, of why ever they came to the doctor's office. Yeah, that's your calling. Yep. So yeah. yeah, so and I, I tell the medical students that too. I said, you know, it's it's this is a calling, not a job. I right. said, if you think it's a job, you think you need to get rich in medicine, get out, go do some, go do something else. Because, uh, and and those folks that, you know, and I've said this a hundred times, those folks that love what they do, they're just better at it. So, right. you know, they go to conferences, they read stuff, they get excited about a new technique, you know, etc. But I've seen that uh, with lawyers, and I've seen that with musicians, and I've seen that with actors, and I've seen that with real estate guys, and I've seen that with, if you're passionate about what you do and you like what you do, then you're usually going to be really good at it. Exactly. Yeah, I, I believe that too as well. How can people um, find you online, social media, all sure. that stuff? So we're all over the place. Uh, our the website is uh, www.jjrothmd.com. And then social media, we're on Instagram and Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn. And uh, and if you have uh, any questions or anything that you want to hear more about, uh, please contact us through any of those methods uh, or uh, on the phone. Our phone number is here in Las Vegas. It's 702 702- Four five zero zero seven seven seven. We still answer the phone with a human being, and uh, we listen and we write stuff down. So, yeah, anything you want to hear about, by all means, uh, give us a shout. Yeah, and on social, you can find us at, at Las Vegas Plastic Surgery. And uh, also, please like and subscribe our show. It helps us out, and uh, we definitely want to keep bringing you interesting and fun topics to talk about. Sounds fantastic. Awesome. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us. For further information, please visit the podcast website link for Dr. Jeffrey Roth. See you next time.